Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another week. We're really excited about the show we have lined up for you. We've got a great guest. Um, before we get started, we want to let you know that there is a challenge on our Instagram account of 10 mystery play endings. And so if you think you might be able to identify them from their last page, go ahead and check that out. And we'll be revealing the answers next week. And just want to put it out there in the world. Uh, we want to, for an upcoming episode, we're going to, we want to talk about money. And I think that's an important topic that we both feel that has not, uh, there's not much out there. So we're going to do like a poll about, um, or questions you might have about money and your thoughts on money as a writer, a playwright. Uh, so we might share that on the next episode, right, Sam? Yeah. Like, what what are you wondering about in regards to money and playwriting? Mm -hmm. And what questions do you have? If you go ahead and send those to us, we'll try to get some answers for you before yeah. we record that episode. That sounds good, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All okay. right. So enjoy this episode with Monica Troush. Welcome to another episode of Beckett's Babies. I'm Sam Collier. And I'm Sarah Cho. And we have a wonderful guest on the show. I actually know her. We went to college <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, it is Monica Trouse. She is a playwright and screen screenwriter originally from Los Angeles, currently based in Brooklyn. She has been a semi-finalist for Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference. And her plays have been seen in New York, Los Angeles, Singapore and Cambodia and she has her BA from UC Santa Barbara and her MFA from the Writers Foundry in Brooklyn. Welcome Monica. Hi guys. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I really love your guys podcast. I'm really excited. Oh thank you. Thanks Monica. Well, we're honored to have you yeah. with us. So, um, one of the things we like to get started is, because our show is Beckett's Babies, uh, <laughs> we like to start with like, a question of, you know, what was your earliest memory? Uh, your what was your life like before theater? Yeah, well, I don't remember a life before the theater. Um, the story goes, when I was about five, I turned to my parents, neither of whom are in the industry at all. And I said, I would like to take an acting class, please. And um, I don't know where it came from, but I, they are very good parents and they signed me up. And I sort of was acting and singing and performing ever since then. And then looking back, I always was writing. Um, I, I like to, you know, in hindsight, I look at it as, um, when I was a child, I had a lot of surgeries over the summer, and so I was sort of alone um, recovering, and that's kind of when I started writing. Um, I realize now, of course, when you're a kid, you don't realize you're doing all of this stuff, but um, now I realize that's when the spark um, happened, and then I was writing plays and screenplays, and I was directing and casting my brother in them, and um, <laughs> editing everything on iMovie, <laughs> which we still have all of these really crazy movies that oh, I made. That's so cool! <laughs> mm. The most notable one was a film noir where my brother was a detective, <laughs> wow. and I was like, "How did I know how to do this? I don't think I'd ever even seen a film noir at that age." <laughs> but um. Yeah, and from there, I just um, was always knew I was going to do theater. Um, and then it wasn't until um, undergrad when I met Sarah that I really realized that I was a playwright. I convinced her. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, good job. <laughs> well, no. actually, Sarah, I've been what? the more I listen to Beckett's Babies and the references that you often pull, so many of them are from this class that we did meet in that was that mm. contemporary American theater class 
um, with Professor William Davies King. Oh, you remember yeah. The, and that's uh-huh. when we met. And this <laughs> class for me was so influential because when before that, I just thought of plays as something these like old white men wrote. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, I could write a play, like, especially mm-hmm. reading Sarah Rule, like, oh, oh. wow, oh. I could do this. And then um, I tried it. <laughs> Who else did you read in that class? Well, we read a lot of Sam Shepard. Oh. No, <laughs> that's why it. I know that this was class oh. was important to you too, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, I think because he also taught – like an early American drama class or something, yes. right? And I was like, man, this is so boring. Like, this <laughs> exactly. Is so and boring. Um, and ancient honestly, Greek theater. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't when we hit contemporary, it was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And yeah. uh, it's not four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we we read Paula Vogel in that class. Yeah. Oh. Um, I feel like... Oh, gosh. Who else did we read? Well, those were the highlights. Yeah, definitely. Um, Back to the iMovie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny because that moment, in my even my childhood, being introduced like Windows Movie Maker, iMovie. Yeah. It, I think it really did transform my adolescence or something at <laughs> time because I was like already – I was making like parody videos with my friends. Like it was like sketch comedy before I knew what sketch comedy exactly. was. Like and I was like writing and directing. I was like making my friends do things and I'm yep. like and then we like show it in class and it was what that's it was very transformative time for sure being introduced do, to those programs. Do you still have your videos that you made? Uh-uh, no, because it was all on like the old PC my mom had and then it was like gone. Well, my mom re- yeah. like maybe five or ten years ago burned them all into DVDs. Well, now DVDs are obsolete, so I right? don't even know. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing! It's so unfair how they keep changing all the technology. On yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So on to writing. Uh, one of the topics we always like to talk about on the show is like staying inspired. So love to know how do you stay inspired to write? I I always feel that the reason why I write is I want to create a more compassionate world. So, Oh, I love that. Thank you. Um, it's, I feel like I hate when people are like, especially now, but um, <laughs> about politics, but I, I haven't felt uninspired to, to fight, to desire compassion I, or to see that the world needs compassion lately. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so that's kind of my North Stars um, when I'm writing. Um, but in terms of staying inspired, I think that um, I really do like the artist's way. Do either of you? Yeah. Um, I think you've mentioned it on this podcast yeah, before. Yeah, Sarah talked about it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I've done it a couple of times and I really like the idea of the artist date where you take mm-hmm. yourself on a date to some sort of cultural or inspired inspiring activity um so it just every and it can be really hard as you are busier and you're in a relationship or you have a family and you don't really have time to just go to the movies by yourself but you kind of have to prioritize that (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so I was actually telling Sarah I took myself last week to a Sam Shepard play (laughs) oh cool (laughs) um yeah I saw um Curse of the Starving Class at the Signature Theater here in New York City. Um, and that was my little artist date. And it, it really helps you kind of stay inspired. As I just, you know, you have to do stuff alone, I think, as an artist. Do you guys yeah. agree? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was the production? It was interesting. Um, it was, I, I really like the Signature Theater. I think they, they do um, really beautiful productions um, and they have a really beautiful space if you guys are out here and check it out. Um, but I felt like the set was incredible. The production was amazing. I was missing, I wanted like a hair more theater or uh, not theater. I wanted a hair more comedy. Um, oh, okay. I felt like I kept wanting to laugh and no one was laughing and um mm. I always think of Sam Shepard as being so funny yeah and 
and I see so much of Sarah and I see so much of Sam Shepard's work and Sarah, as I know you guys have talked about, but and Sarah, your work is so dark and then, but it's like, it's funny. <laughs> mm. um, and, Did you feel yeah. that the play was funny and you were seeing humor in it that other people in the audience that night weren't seeing? Perhaps. And, you know, of course, the New York theater scene, even though the signature is great for having subsidized tickets, um, it is almost always an older audience. So their humor may skew differently than mine. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the production wasn't playing up to the humor the way that they could have. Um, I think there were missed jokes that were played more like drama. So maybe it, Maybe it was the mood of the night that people weren't laughing. I mean, with comedy, you know, you can have a really funny night or an off night. Um, Mm. But yeah, I I felt like it was funny and I wanted it to be like, I was like, I want Sarah Cho to direct this and make it funnier. (laughs) And then you had this really cool idea, Sarah. I don't know if you want to share it on the podcast and blow, give your idea away, but. Oh, yeah. I'm still working on it. Okay. Yeah, we won't we won't talk about it, but you should tell Sam later your awesome idea. Oh, <laughs> so so but, yeah, but tease it. Let's tease it. Let's tease it. <laughs> I think you did tell me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I told yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listeners, look out for the show production <laughs> in a, a few years. Yeah, coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, so just kind of going back, um, when did you move to New York and why did you move to New York? And do you recommend moving to New York? Yeah. Oh, great questions. Um, well, my story is that after I graduated undergrad, um, when Sarah and I graduated together, um, I actually moved to Cambodia and taught English in Phnom Penh for a year. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I promise I won't talk too much about weddings because Sarah and I are both <laughs> planning weddings, but I am doing a destination wedding in Cambodia next year uh, because I live because there. Because why not make it even more complicated for yourself, right? <laughs> no, destination weddings are way easier. Oh, okay. Like we can talk about that, but then this podcast will just be about weddings. <laughs> Anyone who wants an easier wedding, do destination wedding. Less people will come and the hotel does everything for you. Like all the vendors are just there and you show up and you look oh, beautiful wow. and that's wow. it. Um, I swear. Listeners, we're changing this to call, to be called Beckett's Wives. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Beckett's, God. Beckett's Brides. Beckett's yes, brides. there it is. <laughs> oh my God. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I moved to Cambodia. And I taught English and I actually did a lot of theater out there. I joined this like English language theater troupe and we, um, they were doing like Shakespeare and I was just like, yeah, it was cool. But I was like, well, can't we just produce our own plays? And then we did like a short play festival, um, out in Cambodia and it was amazing. And, um, then I came back to LA and was sort of like, well, I guess I'll move to New York. Um, I I wish I had more of an insight. It was sort of like, I knew I wanted to pursue playwriting and I knew I wanted more adventure. Um, mm-hmm. And after living abroad, I sort of felt like, well, now I can handle New York. <laughs> oh, um, I see. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then sometimes I think about how living in Cambodia may have actually been easier than living in New York. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. But so I moved out here um, and was like, this is, I was just going to make it work. And then um, I did. I got my dream internship sort of a few weeks after moving here at New Dramatists, um, which, if you're not familiar, is this amazing playwriting residency program in New York. Which, if anyone wants to move to New York and they want to, and they don't know anything about New York theater scene, you need to intern at New Dramatists because it will introduce you to, the New York theater scene in a few weeks, you know, you'll just meet Mm. everyone and get to know all the plays. And the really cool thing about new dramatists is they have a play, a play library. So anyone who's ever been a resident there has their, a copy of their play is in this free library. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So, and when you're an intern, like you basically just 
do a lot of work, but you had a lot of downtime. So we would just read plays all day. Um, and that was kind of the foundation of my start to New York. And so many people who I'm still very close with, um, I met at that internship. <laughs> so um, that was really impactful. And um, I said, well, I want to see how it goes. And if I get my work out here in the indie theater scene in the first year, I'll keep going. And I did. And then I just kept going. <laughs> and I've been doing, uh, you know, off, off Broadway work ever since. And um, that's my New York. And, and should people move to New York? I would say that um, if you want, if you have that desire, why not? But I would tell you that for anything you want to do, you know, I, I'm kind of adventurous. Like, I, you know, if I wanted to live abroad, so I did. I wanted to move to New York. You know, I think that that's what makes life exciting. Like, if, if you have no desire to move to New York, like Sarah Cho, um, <laughs> I would do. you can do theater anywhere. But if any part of you is calling, like, come. You know, it's, it's going to be really hard and you're going to have no money. Um, so it's okay because you're going to meet all these amazing people and be so inspired. Um, yeah. Well, and I, there's just so much work happening there all the time. There's yeah. so much work. It's you're, you could go to 10 different readings a day. I mean, it's nonstop and mm. everyone is great. Who's here. Mm. Um, it's, really it seems like he's got big generalization okay yeah. maybe don't maybe don't say that on the podcast I just mean that people here generally are working hard I guess I would yeah. say it that way yeah. you have to be a hustler to make it here yeah. um yeah. but it's really hard to live here um because the weather isn't great um it's very very expensive like obscenely expensive and um, it's also just a really exhausting place to live. Um, it's sort of nonstop, and the city is very unforgiving is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But there's also so many magical elements to living here, like all the people you'll meet. You have access to everything in the world. You know, you're seeing the first runs of every show you've ever wanted to see. And, you know, you're, yeah. you get to go to the greatest museums that you've dreamed of and meet your heroes. I mean, I, you meet them walking down the street cause they're going to the same, you know, show or bar as you, you know, I mean, it's really incredible, but you know, I don't know how many people are going to stay in New York forever. I feel like a lot of people need a time here, you know, to kind of get their feet wet. I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the balance between like a day job or yes. making a living and um, your creative life? Yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the number one struggle um, in my life. And I think maybe in many artists' life, especially in New York, given the cost of living, um, I would say what I'm coming to terms with is that there's no perfect day job because mm -hmm. there's always going to be something that you don't like about your situation, namely that you're not doing what you want to want to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and I found that there's always, you know, a, a sort of a time limit to every day job. You're going to make it work and then maybe something changes in your life or the job and you have to, it's not going to work anymore. Um, for me, I have found that I have to have a full-time job because I really need health insurance and um, the stability of that. Yeah. I've tried the part-time, you know, kind of gig jobs, which are great because you have way more time to write and you can take daytime meetings and you have more space for your creative work. But the anxiety of the financial situation for me was so prohibitive to my creative work that I was doing way less work because um, yeah. I was just freaking out. Um, and That's so, I'm, so true. Yeah. yeah so I'd rather work 40 hours a week and have less time to write, but know that I'm going to be able to pay for therapy and my groceries and rent and not have to worry about anything else. <laughs> mm. Well, and there's something too about doing the gig part-time method yeah <laughs> where you're 
you never have time that's purely your own. Like you're always right. looking at your time as potentially um, lucrative time, <laughs> like that you yeah. could be using to make money in a more effective way than you are. And I think that's really kind of corrosive. Yeah, mm. I agree. And now, you know, I work full time at an office um, at this um, quite lovely nonprofit called Change for Kids. Um, and I, I really believe in the mission of the organization, which is kind of a first of before just taking any old job. I do have a job now that, it, you know, is aligned with what I believe in, you know, helping children. Um, can't go wrong with that. But I, and I have to be really self-disciplined. Um, I often get up early and write before work. I spend a lot of my lunch breaks writing after work and then pretty much all weekend. Um, mm -hmm. And so what I struggle with is having fun. Yeah. <laughs> the balance <laughs> of like, mm. oh, I could take a Sunday off. <laughs> um which is sounds really sad, <laughs> but I do struggle with that because it's like, oh, we want to go out, you know, to this event on Saturday. And I'm thinking, well, then I'm going to not be able to get up early on Sunday and write. And then my whole day is thrown off. And then, you know, so yeah, that's what I struggle with. It's so, but I think you're right. There's no perfect solution. It's like one thing can work for a few years and then it, doesn't work anymore and yeah like something changes yeah I had this mentality with my last job where you know I was in the world of television and I was like this is great like this is where because I ultimately want to be in television and I'm in the world and I'm like it's gonna help me be a better writer and all that but it it was so consuming because so much of like my creative energy was for making those creative people look good like I was just like oh, spending yeah. all my time and energy all my creative energy for the other creative person and there was none left for me like I was so exhausted by then I was like I was I felt depleted and so and like I came to LA I was like I'm, you know mainly for comedy and I'm like trying to pursue comedy but I just like couldn't like I couldn't and it's so it came down to this like decision I'm like oh hmm I what should I do like I should like list like weeks of crazy hours and unhappiness and sacrificing all my creative energy and some you know for people who uh don't care about me <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you know and, right and it, it was like it was this constant like I guess there's I'm not I don't have a point to this, but I was just saying that. <laughs> like, it's it's a, always a constant battle of negotiating with yourself of like, yeah, what's a better yeah. situation for me, and how can I, I have to do that all the time. Yeah, like I've been saying, this is kind of a really lovely day job right now, mm. but I, I, I'm not necessarily happy nine to five because I'm not doing what I want to do, right. and so I, but I constantly have to remind myself, like, you know this is where you are right now. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but I was thinking your, your situation, Sarah, is like a perfect example of the day job not lasting forever because mm -hmm. when you started that job, you were so happy about it. You mm -hmm. loved it. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. And now then one day it was like, oh my God, I can never do that again. Right. And I think that's how it goes. Like I nannied for years and I really enjoyed it. And then one day I was just like, I could never do this again. And then I switched into the kind of office um, operations world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. But I sometimes I feel like the I want my career to move faster towards like more pay, like working in TV and film simply because I want to leave my day job like mm -hmm. I like you know what I mean like you're mm -hmm. you're sort of almost desperate for your career to move faster than it is mm -hmm. because then you'll get to this like concrete moment of quitting your day job no. and right. I'm like I didn't have a day job I would be very sort of satisfied with all that I've achieved and where I'm going and could take my sweet time. But there's this sort of underlying motivator of like, how do we move this along? Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you guys feel that way ever? <laughs> Definitely. And I feel, I mean, <clears throat> this is a larger conversation, but, you know, the, the field of theater in general for many, many artists does not pay a living yeah. wage. You know, I mean, that's just like a fundamental truth. Yeah. There, there are very few playwrights that, um, if any, I think Lauren Gunderson said she can can make a so, living from writing plays but one person <laughs> and and same with actors and same with you know yeah, I think they're all making a living from tv and film and then they're right. also doing theater right mm-hmm. or they're teaching and or they're always they have a day job somewhere else and that's why I was telling Sarah before this podcast that I'm within angry at the theater because yeah. I'm just sick of this like no one is making a living no one is you know, and we're just sort of okay with this. I don't, I'm just angry at the American theater. <laughs> I know, me too. And there's got to be a better way because it's, because at the same time, ticket prices are outrageous. Right. Yeah. And so I, I don't even you know, go to see these shows in New York because I literally can't afford it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's like, why am I living here? I can't even afford my rent or the shows. <laughs> yeah. And, and for somebody who's, making theater to not be able to go see shows just exactly it's crazy I mean there are there are discount options um and there there's a way you know and like I was just saying the signature does subsidize there are always options but it's like oh cool I'm sitting in literally the back row in the third right the top of the balcony (laughs) which is how I saw Hamilton and will never regret it (laughs) um yeah ugh yeah. Well, so yeah, so TV is and film is very tempting, I think, to a lot of writers and artists because it's possible to make more mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what is it about plays that you love that you feel like you can't get from film or TV? Why I are you love- still doing this ridiculous art form? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I love about plays is that there are no rules Mm. you can every time I feel when you're writing a screenplay or a tv show of course you don't have to follow the structures but there are more strict structures of you know we have save the cats beat sheet Mm -hmm. um whether or not you believe in that or not and then with um tv pilots you know very tight page limits um with theater you can do whatever you want. You can reinvent the wheel every single time. And, you know, that's so exciting and beautiful. When you walk into a play, you really don't know what you're going to see and what surprises are going to be there. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. What's um, Save the Cat's Beat Sheet? Oh, my gosh. Well, Save the Cat is this book written by Sid Field in the 90s, I believe. And he basically mapped out um, the plot points or beats for how you should write a screenplay. Um, And he basically like 99% of all the movies we're seeing are following this method, whether whether before or after he sort of analyzed it. Um, And then... I I personally really enjoy um, his it's his book and I do use him when I'm outlining. Do you do that, Sarah, when you write mm-hmm. screenplays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I especially with pilots, I I follow such a strict rule, like <laughs> because. Well, here's the thing. This is where I'm like, I go back on this constantly because of the way streaming has changed television. And so much of the, the structure before was following how commercial breaks work within, you know, so those act breaks were important. But now it's like, it's, it's not, it's more subtle. And it's like, without uh, those commercial breaks, it's just sort of, it just goes right through 30 minutes. And also there's now like, there's streaming television of like 15 minute sketches shows and 15 minute shows or I don't know they're just the time is kind of becoming irrelevant of like should be a 30 minute half hour one hour 
two hour show. Oh, that's you know, it just feels that way. Well, I think that's true, but it depends on where you are in your career. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to write a sample that's going to get you a job, right. you need to follow the rules, I would say. Which is so dumb. And yeah, and then <laughs> once you like prove yourself, then you can write your crazy dream version of this whatever um but you know if they're gonna pay you I feel like I'm cool with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um so talking about work Monica let's talk about the ABCs for hot second (laughs) um that was a play that um I actually directed for Hollywood Fringe two years ago yeah, can't believe 2017. So crazy. I know. I, I see pictures popping up in my news feed of like, wow, I actually directed a play. Um, and excellently directed a play. <laughs> I wish I could have seen it. Oh, oh my, my gosh. I wish you did too. It's it was so funny. It, oh, the thank you. Well, so and it, it is a funny script. And then Sarah directing was like beyond. Like the audience was like screaming <laughs> with laughter and it was great. It was my first time directing too. And I was like, That's No, amazing. you directed stuff. You've directed before. What, what, are, you you talking, what are you talking Wait, about? What are you talking about? You directed stuff in undergrad. Oh yeah. yeah. But I guess this That's was it. my first I guess it was uh, a full length play to direct. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was oh, like a okay. whole was, yeah. So that this was my first time directing a full length play. And um let's talk about what that process was like like or it's kind of because I'm trying to remember this um because I feel like what um writers who is interested in directing and sort of this process um and I we had Nina who was also a director who writes plays she was on the show and it's kind of this brain that I had to it was like I had a writer's brain but like switching to a director's brain and we were working with a producer and the sort of the constraints we all kind of worked in the parameters because um because originally your play was longer than 60 minutes and so Mm -hmm. we had this conversation collaborating of keeping it under 60 because of yeah the fringe festival and like the nature Uh, yeah so as you as a writer what was that like or you know condensing condensing, the play a little yeah Well, it made me think that perhaps everything that we condensed to was what was only needed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you can make it shorter, then did you need anything else that you cut out? I uh, One of the major things that um, we changed during that production was that um, it's the story is about um, teenage girls and the protagonist's father was in an early draft. And um, Sarah, I believe it was you who made the suggestion of like cutting him. And we have this like all female energy and that shortened it a lot because Mm. we had scenes with the father that were now just like briefly referenced um, because it wasn't really about him. So it, it was an easy cut and I like, I'm, I believe in killing your darlings. Like, great, cut it out. Um, so that was a really exciting change, um, which, of course, I, which maybe we'll get to talking about, but I adapted this play into a screenplay, and the dad is back in the story because we have a lot more world in the screenplay mm. to kind of play with. But, um, yeah, I just, I guess in that process, I just trust you and our producer, Benno Rosenwald. I just trusted you guys so much that I like literally wasn't worried about it, if that makes mm. sense. So that would be, I don't know what that process would be like working with people I didn't know and trust. I yeah. think that would have probably been really traumatic. Totally. <laughs> it's so important to have people that you, that you can trust like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially because I was in New York while they were rehearsing. In LA, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So did you, how did you do that? Did you Skype in or? I did, did just- once, but then mm-hmm. I was, then I was like, it's fine. You guys got it. I, yeah. I just like trust, you know, the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the more your work gets produced, like the less involved you become. Mm-hmm. So 
that was like a good process, yeah. good uh, practice for me of sort of letting go. Like everything I wanted was in the play. Mm. So they're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the original Im- impetus for the play? Like where'd you get that idea? Definitely. Um, so I was inspired should I say like what the play's about yeah that would be good good. yeah (laughs) um the ABCs is a story about um an insecure teenager named Dakota and she has an imaginary friend named Margot who's kind of like her older very mean sister or the devil on her shoulder um and my idea to manifest Margot her imaginary friend as another actress was that um, I think we all, especially women, but we all have this voice in our head that tells us we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes you see it when you look in the mirror, if it's about your physical appearance, but it can be about anything. Um, and what is it like if that voice is so powerful? It's like another person. And in, what if they have, they're more powerful than you and they're sort of controlling your life, this sort of toxic person. Mm. So that was, um, the impetus behind that and how in the story um, Dakota is desperate to join the ABCs, which are the mean girls or the plastics of 2019. Um, they're <laughs> they're the, these ultra cool sort of Kardashian-esque diverse. And Ka- Kardashian girls. obsessed. <laughs> Kardashian obsessed. Um, they are their Kardashians are their heroes, and like the Kardashians, they have all participated in plastic surgery, cosmetic plastic surgery. So they tell Dakota if she wants to join the group, she also needs to get plastic surgery. And so she decides, like without a doubt, she's going to get a boob job and she's going to make it work. But she needs to find a way to get the money, which you know hijinks ensue to getting this money (laughs) and um at the end you know which goes back to what I want to say which is that you know we need to learn how to love ourselves and use social media you know for fun and and not life role models um and she ends up learning you know how to how to love herself just as she is without this sort of negative toxic figure Mm -hmm. in her life Mm -hmm. um and And why I really started writing it, especially about the Kardashians, was I was so interested several years ago in um, Kylie Jenner getting so much uh, facial and body plastic surgery. Um, When she first did that, she was so young. And I thought about what it would be like to be 15 and sort of observing that Mm, on social media. Um, Because I, as, as an adult woman who's older than than this girl um I can see that this is really kind of alarming and I can also see that it's fake you know she's posting these provocative photos with a body that's not sort of naturally achieved and she has a right to do that but what if I don't know that that's fake and then I look at my own body and I have to compare to this literally not achievable goal Mm. (laughs) um so I'm just really interested in how social media kind of plays with that because we have unfettered access to these um cultural icons who can present anything to us and it can be altered it can be by surgery or by just photoshop and we're just inundated with these images and how do we know what's real and that was sort of how we got to the imaginary friend this idea of like fantasy versus reality um and i really was inspired by Nancy Joe Sales book American Girls which is sort of about this phenomenon specifically she talks a lot about porn and its um influence on like how women young women see themselves mine isn't really about porn but it is about social media um mm-hmm. but i guess social media is inf- affected by the porn industry too if if we if we really want to get down to it mm-hmm. um but yeah that that's kind of where i went it sounds very dark, but it's actually quite funny. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking this could, you could have written it as a very, very sad tragedy, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I'm, but it's very funny. And I'm wondering about um, how you see the role of comedy in addressing mm. this kind of social issue. Well, I think that 
as much as I love drama, the world is hard enough. Like, what's wrong with comedy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and why can't we, you know, enjoy ourselves? And and what lessons, mm -hmm. what social lessons can we learn from even like a cheesy romantic comedy? Um, I I always I realize that I'm more successful um, as a writer in getting across what I'm intending through comedy. Um, so that's sort of. And those are where my instincts lie, I think, um, just as a person. So mm -hmm. it sort of just comes out. And I mean, the thing is, is like all of this is kind of funny. It's all bizarre, like the Kardashians and and like this talking fake imaginary person and these girls who, you know, are getting their lips injected. Like it's all kind of bizarre and funny. Um, but you're right, like a... a even a different director could have played it really differently, but I knew it was a comedy. So, um, and then I, I was also had a production in New York city, um, which was the same year. And it was similarly, um, we, we played it all as comedy. I think, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer to the role of comedy. I think it can be easier to digest, um, new ideas maybe through yeah. comedy mm -hmm. yeah um and to kind of tag on that I feel like comedies it requires this like self-awareness that like so much we laugh at it is when the the joke or the story or like is aware about what is happening mm -hmm. and then you're kind of in on that awareness while like the main point the characters aren't aware like they're so with the abcs these girls are just it's their actions everything they're doing is just so absurd and crazy <laughs> but then but i think comedy allows us to sort of like step back from that a bit not be so involved in their world but look at it as a kind of like a uh like a third person observer you know and then you're so that that's why i just like i love comedies in that because you, when you tackle subjects or things like that we could sort of remove ourselves and really look at it at a, a different angle i guess yeah no that's a good point because it is it's very serious to the girls i mean it it feels like it's a matter of life and death for them whether or not they have like it's plastic surgery yeah totally yeah. yeah um cool now i want to move to our next portion of this interview <laughs> uh it's kind of new um but as we're like talking about all these sort of different um mediums of writing and playwriting and screenwriting um i want to play a little game where i am going to share a premise um and we all kind of discuss can it be a TV show, a movie, or a play? And some of these are either made up or from an existing show. And so we could kind of, but I'm not, I won't reveal that till the end. Okay. okay. All, All right. right. I'm excited. What do we win a prize? Um, uh, you win nothing. Uh, <laughs> your prize is an appearance on the podcast <laughs> um, some of these, exactly. okay, and some of these, if you do recognize it being a movie or a tv show just withhold that answer <laughs> until the end if you, if, you think you know, okay. if you think you know where it's from okay wait are we playing or the listeners no are we're playing? playing we're all gonna play Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. You and I, Monica. Okay, <laughs> got it, got it. Sarah knows the answers. Yeah. Oh, uh, that yeah. makes sense. I but didn't I'll even share, consider I'll that. I'll share, like, how it could also be another medium. Okay, okay. So okay. here's the first one. <laughs> An overprotective father is obsessed with becoming a principal and competes against a popular vice principal. However, something happens that makes them work together to save the day. I think I know what... Is is this Vice Principals, the TV show on HBO? Oh my god, I said to withhold that answer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh my god, well, yes, I don't okay. understand. But, sorry, okay. I messed no, no, up. Okay. No, no, it's okay. Wait, wait. wait so what am I? I, I do you think I don't we're get not it. supposed to? You're not supposed to. I guess. thought we were supposed to guess what it was. No, no, no. Or, no you're supposed <laughs> to. Um, do you think it could be a play, a TV show, or a film? Oh, so, so what just if pretend I knows. don't know what it is? If I do know what it is. Then be quiet. 
Okay, I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. I messed that one up. Well, I was going to say a movie. Mm. But also, I know Sarah Cho's obsessed with Danny McBride. So, like, it does not surprise me that she chose a Danny McBride. Oh, my God. That's so funny because I was like, I feel like Monica will answer this and know this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Danny McBride. I know your inner inner love of Danny McBride. But, Sam, you said you thought it it could be a movie. Why? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it... um, it seemed like you could tell that whole story in mm. two hours and then you would have nothing left interesting <laughs> to say. So in- I kind of agree with that. I didn't like the show. I love the show. Okay. But it was, I know it was intended, which is funny. It was intended to be, uh, I think, only a two-season show. Like, they didn't want to do more than that. Like, they wanted to... What did they possibly do for two whole seasons? <laughs> oh, oh, a lot, Sam. A lot. <laughs> Oh, okay. oh my All god right. okay um maybe you guys will know this one uh don't say the, i won't you know, say if anything. you do know if you do know but um okay a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes after he narrowly escapes a bizarre accident I know what this is. Yeah, me too, but you know what? It totally could be a play. It could be a play. That's true. Like you could have so much, a cool director doing like the visions and, you know, Mm -hmm. having a rabbit suit on stage that's inherently, it's actually funnier on stage than in a film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Like in the film, you just, it's not really funny. It's kind of just weird. But if someone came out on stage in a rabbit costume, everyone would be laughing. Yeah. Or you could do a puppet or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be cool too. I think it could be more fun as a play than just visually. Yeah. Maybe. maybe we should adapt it. Oh my God, we should. Okay, it's Donnie Darko. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Jake Gyllenhaal will be in our adaptation coming to Broadway 2020? Uh, I mean, how could he possibly say no? I would make him the large rabbit. And <laughs> <laughs> find someone else. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who do you want to play Donnie Darko in our production? Um, Danny McBride. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Danny McBride. Everything. Um, oh, has he ever done theater? I, like, mm, you know how actors do. You yeah. know, TV I actors. No, do. I don't know if he has ever done. And just, I feel like I've only seen him movies and TV shows. Hmm. I saw Jake Gyllenhaal in a production of Constellations, and it, it was he was okay. What was the show? It was called Constellations. I'm trying to remember the playwright. This was fully f- like four or five years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and I just, he was okay. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, how hard can it be to be a rabbit? That's yeah, true. Just stand there and scare people. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. What's the next one, Sarah? A teenager from a small town in Maine grapples with the challenges of adolescence. Hmm. That could be, it. it could be any anything. of any of them. Because mm-hmm. that, yeah, I mean, there's so many challenges. So you could do a, <laughs> TV, <laughs> you yeah, could do a play about challenges, or you could do um, many, many seasons, many seasons and spinoffs. Yeah, let's talk about that in terms of TV. You, you said many, many seasons. Why? Why do you think it has a longevity of a show, TV show? Um, well, I'm at a disadvantage because I, I basically never watch TV. Really? But, yeah. yeah. She really doesn't. Wow. I thought she was like <laughs> mentally like great, like healthy. Well, she's probably more productive than probably me. Probably productive, yeah. Um, what do you do do all day? <laughs> I mean, don't I, mean that as a joke. I'm I, genuinely curious. I guess I read books. Oh my god! And walk in the woods and yeah. forage. I mean, for I herbs. read books. I don't want to sound like an idiot. Like I, I do I'm, read books. I, everyone, you don't sound. No, I mean, I'm. I I don't know. I'm. There's something I love watching films. Okay, but I there's something about the form where it's like it keeps going and going and going. Uh, it just drives me nuts. I just want to sit down and watch the whole thing and be done with it. I do not want to be sucked in to something that's going to like take over my life for the next. Oh my god, months. that was Game of Thrones for me for forever. Okay, <laughs> exactly. I know, I know. 
People talk about TV shows like they're in an abusive relationship. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Oh my god, that's funny. Um, jokes on you guys all. Like it was a documentary called Billy the Kid. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a an option documentary. Well, the only specific thing in there was that it was about Maine. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's well, that's why I was going to say TV because it was sort of open ended. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there totally. was no mm-hmm. there was no ending in sight mm-hmm. to to Sam's point. You know, yeah. you could keep talking about adolescence forever, and then like when they're older, the trauma of adolescence. Got- <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, but this was a great documentary. Definitely check it out. Um, I guess we'll do one more. <laughs> It's, okay. okay. When a young mother unearths a secret passage, she discovers a deadly truth that could change the course of her family's history. Oh, that a secret cool. passage. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like it's a limited series. <laughs> here's my thinking. I really want it to be a play because we haven't had a play yet. Mm-mm. No, we had Donnie Darko as a play. <laughs> okay, true. But I'm trying to picture how a secret passage would work on stage. Maybe my well, that's the director's challenge. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. You're right. Mm-hmm. You could do like, um, they could be like projected, going at underground. I don't know. Read it one more time. When a young, when a young mother unearths a secret passage, she discovers a deadly truth that could change the course of her family's history. What if you don't have to go into the passage? Like, what if you have right. dirt on stage and she's digging a hole on stage or something? That's kind of cool. Right. And she just is discovering a truth. Yeah. So it seems like it could be like she discovers the passage, uh, the passage. and the truth in act one, right? Yeah. And then act two and three are just about the consequences for her family, which f- sounds very play-esque. Yeah. I it? agree. But it, it depending on what the consequences are, are if they're like never ending like they were involved in some sort of secret Mm -hmm. or society or something that has going to have a million different characters now Mm -hmm. and you could do a tv with that or i think this could be any of them you're so right but i want it to be a play because it would be cool to have like a passageway Mm -hmm. on stage cool okay sarah oh i made it up Oh, oh. <laughs> so is that your next word? No, but feel free to take it. You guys, what's the secret? Yeah, you guys are really great. You guys should take it. That's that's a freebie. You guys, what was the secret? Um, yeah, what's the secret? No, there's I don't there's no secret. I don't know. I was thinking that it was like the Underground Railroad and like mm-hmm. their family was Whoa. like part of oh. it. That's where my mind oh, went. Good. Yeah, I think that was where kind of my brain went there a little bit when I wrote it. I was imagining like dead bodies. Ooh. Cool. Okay. Like they're all there's just a bunch of bodies oh, in, God. in there. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Okay. It's cool. Um, I'll share one more and let's we'll jump into glistens. Okay. okay. And maybe you guys know this because this is pretty famous. Uh, a Brooklyn Brooklyn longshoreman obsessed with his 17-year-old niece grows a raging jealousy of her love of an immigrant. Oh, this, so. I don't know this either. Uh-huh. But I think that's a movie. Ooh. It sounds like a movie. Oh wait, that's response made it sound like maybe it's not a movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of disturbed by the premise. Uh, well, what makes you think it's a movie? I feel like it has like the elements of that length of a story mm-hmm. in a way. And then you think of like a thriller too, maybe. Yeah, like this sort of you know the the beginning was there and. Mm-hmm. I just sort of saw it as a movie. And it also seems know. like it's very marketable as a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know how you, what would be on stage in that, because that would just be, otherwise it would just be like in what, in, in their house in Brooklyn? I mean, when you say longshoreman, I'm picturing like the water over, mm-hmm. like, you know, looking out on Manhattan. And yeah, mm-hmm. and saying immigrant, I'm looking at, like, I'm thinking of like, seeing all of the diversity of Brooklyn, like we could see that in a film. Mm. I don't know. This is a play. It's really? Called, wow. It's called A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. Oh, oh my, my God, God, of course. <laughs> wow. How did that we is so annoying. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Who's Sarah. Arthur Miller? I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's hilarious. I wonder wow. if any of our listeners got that. I feel... Really silly. Uh, <laughs> me too. I saw a production of this uh, at Center Theater Group at Dominson, 
And it did feel like a movie, the way it moved and the transition and the visual. And it, it well, did feel like a I movie, feel like but... that's more of a conversation about contemporary American plays mm-hmm. or the productions. Production, the theater yeah. is moving into this versus Arthur Miller's intentions. Right, um, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. I, yeah. I think that everything is being produced for the appetite of the of the streaming consumer yeah like how we're doing transitions and totally even plays are getting shorter because if we have an intermission people will like not come back or they'll be on their phones or you know it's just and scenes are getting shorter we don't have the stomach they're like tv now yeah Yeah, exactly wow Great game, huh? I had to think of a name for this that was game. Fun. Wow, Sarah. I should call it. That was a good. I game. should call it the premise game. I don't know. I gotta think of a name. But right now, it's called um, Sarah tricks you all. <laughs> <laughs> you should do like a theme where there's always like an Arthur Miller. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has some good plots. I have to say, Ooh. it's all about yeah. I don't love Arthur plots. Miller. I'll just say it. say it. Well, I love The Crucible. That's it. I think we read The Crucible in that class we were talking about. I, yeah, I don't know. I think I I came to love Arthur Miller after I read All My Sons, mm-hmm. which is not the one that most people pick. Mm. But I feel like I should reread really him and like try to understand mm. him in the way that others do. You know, I'll say this. When I was looking for premises, the when I came across The View from the Bridge one, there's something about I was like, this is a play because it was just the way to use the words like obsessed, jealousy. And then like, and then like, right. You know, it was right. like this, like very, it's like so character driven and like you see them, their emotions evolving throughout, you know, wherever span of time. We see. I guess that's true. There's something about that that's out of true. all the, the premises I, I countered. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to move to Glistens now. Great game, everybody. So, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> That was fun. Um, yeah, so Glistens, Monica, which is, um, if you've probably heard our rep episodes, we sort of yes. just kind of what, catch, what caught our attention throughout the week, something that sort of, I don't know, I don't know, it's inspirations or it could be anything from a book, a quote, an article, a movie, anything, just anything. It's so open. Sure. Well, I will... I had a really eventful week, but like just randomly. So I had a lot to, that I was trying to think of, like listen. But I kind of settled on um, actually my writer's group that um, I started out of this co-working space that I'm a member of called The Wing. And we meet every Sunday or every other Sunday. So I actually just came from there. Um, and it's just a, a small group. We're called Wicked what do wait what we just changed our name hold on <laughs> um wicked wing writers www and um we be every other sunday it's a group of um people that are some of us are members of this space some of us are friends of members and we um I sort of started it when I joined this co-working space to kind of get to know more people in the community. And now it's become this little community within that community. And they really inspire me and um, motivate me. And I just love all of the amazing people in it. And um, I think that, like, we need writers groups. Like, they're so so important. And... um, is it all playwrights or is it it's multiple genres? Playwrights, um, screenwriters, and um, TV. And I cool. think at this point we all do all of them <laughs> who are members. Mm-hmm. Um, or and maybe we have a few who who only do one or something. But um, I've brought in sort of all three of plays, screenplays, and pilots at this point. Um, and it's very loose um, in that. Like you have to show up if if you're available, but um, in terms of the demand of the pages you bring in, it's whatever you have, whatever you need, and we've just created this really beautiful space for each other, um, and they've become really good friends. And I'm really proud of myself for starting it, and that I'm really excited for where it's going. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, and um, 
I just always get really good feedback from them and I just feel like, oh my God, Sundays are like the special day instead of like the Sunday scaries thinking about my day job. <laughs> um, so I'm there, my glisten for this week because I just saw their beautiful faces. <laughs> that makes me think we should do an episode about writers groups and like you should what, how to start one and how to make a good one and how to make it last so well I will we'll have you say, back to oh I would love to because I'm <laughs> learning so much about it because um not to go on we can save it for part two of the episode but um I was a bit naive at first and and we sort of didn't have community guidelines um mm-hmm. we sort of you know everyone be cool was my idea and in um, everyone is cool, but there does have to be some sort of structure about um, this is the feedback method we're always following. You know, you have to show up or give us notice if you aren't, you know, little things that yeah. are so obvious. But if you don't say them, you can't uh, address it if it's not being done. So this is why we kind of change our name a little bit. And we're in the 2.0 phase because um, now we have this beautiful working document of community guidelines. So you know, it. who is with you in that group is the mm. most important thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a great idea. I love that idea. Um, I guess I could go next. Um, yeah. What's your lesson? It is Elton John. Y'all, I oh saw God. Rocket Man. It blew me away. I just love him oh, so cool. much. I want to see that. I, it was this first, you know, I'm not a huge fan of biopics in general of like musicians i just i don't know i just feel it, it's all the same it's just kind of seeing who the rise and fall of their fame or their you know the yeah. process but elton john like i other than you know a couple of songs i've heard on the radio like i didn't really know much of him as a person and the kind of sort of his his what he's brought to like the culture you know music and rock and roll and he's sort of this outsider in that world you know and Man, I didn't like know he, that. He, yeah, his story is so unique. Is a musician, as a pop star, rock star, like it, mm-hmm. it's, and oh man, oh, and so just devastating him, like hiding who he really was. You know, this gay man who's <laughs> just like hiding it all these yeah. years, like, and his oh, his relationship with his parents is just so tragic. The, it was never good. They hated him. I mean, it was just so sad. And so I, and also the, the music and how it was all choreographed, the art direction. I mean, it, it is so good. If you, if there's a rocket man playing there, you, you gotta watch it. It's, uh, I just have a whole yeah. new appreciation for <clears throat> Elton John and just kind of what he's brought to of like so much of himself to the world. Like, man, so crazy. Cool. I want to see that. Well, my glisten is um, this weekend I went to this skill swap, um, which it was, it's put on by the Crosshatch Center for Art and Ecology, which is based in Northern Michigan. And there's this farm called Earthwork Farm where they had this event where you could go and learn um, everything from like songwriting for social change to wilderness survival skills. Um, like I'm I like, how to where do you live? Fire. What is happening? I live, I live in Northern Michigan. I learned how to make fire with <laughs> That's sticks, so cool. which was really difficult and my arms really hurt. Um, wow. But the, but my glisten is that they had live music in this barn at the end of the night. And um one of the musicians, his name is Madi Kuyate, and he's from Senegal. He plays this West African music on an instrument called a kora. And he was just getting started, and this um, the instrument was sounding a little. So it's got twenty one strings. It's got wow. ten strings on the on one side and eleven strings on the other side, and it's this beautiful instrument that he made. Um, and he was just getting going in his performance and one of the strings broke. Actually, several of the strings broke, I think. I mean, it was the way that they're connected. And it was like, I mean, it was so, he was so upset. And it was, it was kind of incredible to watch because we're all sitting there in this barn. It's like 10 o'clock at night. He had kind of built up what this performance was going to be. He doesn't play very often wow. for live audiences anymore. Oh my God. And 
And then, and then, and it was like, he just kind of froze, you know, he just, he was like, I don't, it was like, he didn't know what to do. And of course, anybody who's ever been on stage know, like knows that feeling. Um, but what ended up happening, so there, there are all these other musicians in the, in this barn who have like, you know, there was some drums from an earlier performance and there was a guitar and there was like a little, little ukulele. And so, so everyone was like, play the guitar. And he was like, you know, Seth, who's kind of puts on this big music part of the event. He was like, Seth was trying to get me to play the guitar, but I don't really play the guitar. I don't really know how I said maybe next year, but he was like, okay, I'm going to see what I can do, <laughs> you know? And he like starts just like playing this guitar and he, I mean, he was incredible and he, he pulled off this incredible performance and then other people started playing with him who had played earlier in the night. And it was just this completely improvised performance that was so beautiful to watch because it was coming, coming together in the moment and just to watch a really (laughs) talented performer recover from a moment like that, I think is such a gift. Yeah, because no matter how professional or talented they are, like they still have that moment of just fear. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were all feeling for him because it's just so awful to have something like that happen. So everybody go watch Rocket Man. And don't watch TV and go into the woods and (laughs) learn to build fire. I love how we're watching TV and Sam is... Start a writer's group. (laughs) Sam is like... Already thinking up head when the world ends, how she can save herself. And we'll just be like, Netflix isn't working. No. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say my glisten was making fire because that's, boy, pretty that cool. that's really cool. It was really hard. I have so much more appreciation for our ancestors, you guys. They did it. Oh, wow. <laughs> they did it. I know. Um, all right. So this is our show. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And uh, Monica, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter. It's my first and last name, Monica Troush. And I hope to see you all there. Sometimes I tweet funny things, but not that much. I'm trying to get better at Twitter. Anyone else? Uh, I don't really. I kind of stopped. I don't know. I use it for I like. Feel other like it's things. like a comedy. Yeah, thing. you got it on there. Just overwhelmed by just how many tweets there are sometimes. Yeah, and there's no cute pictures of animals. Like that's what I use Instagram for. <laughs> <Right>. So true. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But I sometimes use it. You can follow me, but Instagram is is more of my speed. Mm. And cool. So please. Come check me out. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Mom. Thank you guys for having me.